Lewis. What's up, what's up? It's your boy AT and your boy AE coming to you live and direct with another episode of Bars, Rhymes and Life where we break down the bars, relate to the rhymes so we can shed light on our lives. Just listen. Welcome to another episode of Bars, Rhymes and Life. Alan, how are you feeling today, my brother? Feeling good, man. Elzai, my pick this week. Track title, light... Track title, right one, light one. Light what one, you... right one? Is it light one, right one? <laughs> so it's just a genius. <laughs> Bro, I just keep fucking this one up, nonstop. I don't even know. I'm even going to keep this in. I'm keeping this in on the podcast because <laughs> there's something I need to say about it towards the end of the, the, the episode. But the track is light one, right one. What did you think of my pick this week? Yeah, I like this one. It's another one that I sort of know, sort of don't. You introduced me to Alzai maybe like two years ago and uh, with this track, actually. And I enjoyed it then. Love the production on this, got a laid back beat and uh, yeah, just some nice bars to go along with. Yeah, 100%. I just want to shout out my boy Amanbra. He told me about this artist and he told me about this album. And this was like, I don't know if it was bang middle of COVID, but I know it was 2020 when I started listening to this album. And it was almost like my favorite album of the year because it's quite a, it's just quite a nice chill complete album it doesn't feel broken in places and he's got bars he's talented he knows how to rap he's been in the game a long time he is validated i'm pretty certain he's from detroit and i just loved the energy the flow and the rhythm and like you say it's chilled but there's bars in there and i I, i'd recommend anyone to give this album uh, a listen if you can side note Side note, right? Uh, this has got nothing to do with this track or anything. I was watching this. I've never, I've never ever watched this podcast in my life before. But it's like the Diary of a CEO. I think you've heard of it, isn't it? Stephen Bartlett, and he's done um, a podcast with Mo Gadda, who I've spoken about in the past before, right? Who's a G, and it's all about AI and stuff, right? And it was sick. I was listening to it, but you know, right at the start of the podcast, Stephen Bartlett, billionaire millionaire whatever you want to call it really successful guy whatever he's at the start of the podcast like goes hey guys thank you so much for listening to this podcast thank you so much for listening it if you can do me a favor if you can do me a favor just press the follow button because if you press the follow button the more you do it the better the guests will get me and Alan, right, we represent bars, rhymes, and life. We're fucking as authentic as it gets. We've never asked anyone, we've never asked anyone to give us a review or give us a follow. So whoever fucking dropped our rating to 4.9, we've been five since day, bruv. We've been five since day. So whatever fucker, like, we never asked for your review. 
We never asked for your review, right? We won't ever ask for a review because it's bars, rhymes, and life. This is the most authentic thing we do. So whoever you are, I don't care. Like, fuck you, bro. Sounds like you care a little bit. <laughs> no, Alan. No, I don't care. I'm just saying, like, you know when you don't ask for something? These, the guy's, like, got a, probably a million to two million listens a week. And he's still begging for follows and reviews and stuff. We don't ask for none of your shit. So when we don't ask for it, why, you wanna, why do you want to give us that one point down, bro? Bro or sis, whoever you may be. Why do you have to give us a 4.9? Like, oh, man. Pissed me off, bro. <laughs> one of my favorite things is like reading one star reviews on amazon of like of like classics like absolute legitimate codified classics that everyone agree are great and you read the one star reviews and they're just hilarious man oh man. some absolutely brilliant stuff out there <laughs> hey just like all i'm gonna say is like we're not 4.9 we're five star i don't care i'm never letting that go if i ever find out who that person is i'm coming for you man i'm not even gonna i'm not even gonna write one i'm just gonna light one Hey. hey, come, bro! I'm ready to start. Who's up first? I'm up. I just fired one up. Now I'm in the zone. Sometimes I write inside my head and leave my pencil and my pen alone. I just fired one up. Now I'm in the zone. Sometimes I write inside my head and leave my pencil and my pen alone. I, it's kind of resonated with me because I think if you've done any kind of writing or creative work, you've probably experienced writer's block or creator's block where you just can't seem to produce anything or what you create just isn't working for you. And I find sometimes one of the ways that I can get past that is to physically change my environment. Even if that means you stop the thing that you're doing right now, you know, you stop writing, you go for a walk or whatever. And even though you're not writing anymore, it's still kind of churning away in the back of your head. And I just, in general, I find it helps kind of regenerate my creative energy I find the same with work. If I'm stuck on a bug, can't figure something out, step away from it. And while I'm away, sometimes you just, you solve the problem without even trying. It's kind of weird. You just clear your head, take, take a breath, take a break. Uh, and it seems to help out. So I can see why Elzai might put his pen down, just write in his head and just let it flow. Nice bar. 100, man. He's full of nice bars. Just He's just full of them. Who's up next? You're up. Those who punch below their weight don't want a confrontation. Those who punch below their weight don't want a confrontation. So it's a really clever line for me because it makes me feel like Elzai is almost describing a lack of ambition. Like the saying is turned on its head in a number of ways. You know those guys that say, oh, he's punching, he's punching with the type of girl that he's rolling with. Like he's punching above her his weight because she's so beautiful or she's so this or she's so that. But also it is the reference um but there's also like that term in boxing where a boxer clears out his whole weight class and division and he or she may move up a weight class to give themselves more of a challenge because you know i want you know those they want to punch above their weight almost and side note again that lomachenko fight lomachenko won that fight that was the most horrible decision most corrupt fucking thing i've ever seen in my life i love you lomachenko you're fucking G. Fuck everyone else and those judges that ruined that fight because you completely won that fight. 
Yeah, I think he got robbed. I mean, the, the commentators were trying very hard not to say he got robbed. Yeah, yeah. They were dancing around, close rounds and this and that, but I didn't, I didn't see it at all. Yeah. I, I felt like Lomachenko won that decision. I felt like it was two rounds up for Lomachenko. Anyway, back to the take, yeah? Therefore, those that punch below their weight don't want a confrontation. It's almost like I'm the bigger person, so it's easy here. I'd rather be a big fish in a small pond. Whereas I feel like Elzai and even me, and I think us, I'd rather be a small fish that can handle the ocean than be a big fish in a small pond. And I just think it's just a, a very clever way of flipping that that saying on its head. Yeah, it's just a nice, nice way of turning a conventional phrase into a different meaning. You're up again. I think dead ends are new beginnings to grow, like five on the black hand side taking pride in your throat. I think that ends our new beginnings to grow like five on the black hand side taking pride in your throat. So, so true, isn't it? You can think of a dead end as as if like it's over. There's nothing else that can happen from here. This like I'm stuck in this place forever. But honestly, they are just new beginnings to grow. Like I got fucked over my last work situation. You've heard me over the pod over the last year moan about how I got done over. And in this year that it has taken me to find a new role, I had to grow. I had to learn how to interview again. I had to apply to roles. I had to understand rejection. And I could have thought my previous role fucked me over and that's it. It's over. I can't I can't do anything else but go back to what I was doing before. Let me go back to being a pharmacist again. But in order to grow and do something else, you need to perceive dead ends as new beginnings. And I just think it's like just, just nice knowledge and simple a simple line that has a lot of meaning behind it. Now, the second line, and I can't remember, Alan, if it was last week or the week before where you mentioned Wilt Stilt Chamberlain, the only guy in the NBA to have scored 100 points in a game, right? I'm sure it was last week, but last week and the week before was a massive blur. I wouldn't expect you to know this, but his arch nemesis and quote unquote, they weren't like nemesis per se, was a player for the Boston Celtics called Bill Russell. And Bill Russell is another record holder in the NBA because he's got the most championships ever. He has 11 rings. And this film, Five on the Black Hand Side, was produced by none other than Bill Russell's brother, Charlie Russell. Hey, look, I don't mean to be dipping into y'all's business, but you've been corporatized, blackularized, and superflied. You've been macked hammered, slaughtered, and shafted. Now we want to turn you on to some brand new jive. You're going to be glorified, unified, and filled with pride when you see five on the black hand side. Say it loud, I'm black and I'm proud. Five, uh, five, uh, uh, on the black hand side. So it's just a bit of extra NBA trivia for you here because I'm just like connecting the dots from oh, that film was made by Bill Russell's brother, who I had no idea about. I didn't even know Bill Russell even had a brother. But when I, when I read it in Wiki, because I was like, what is this film? It's like, oh, brother of Bill Russell. And I was like, oh, Bill Russell. Oh, his enemy was Will. Alan was just talking about Will just a couple of weeks ago. So it's kind of nice that it just all tied in together. Yeah, I like that that bar about dead ends and new beginnings. It's again, it's another way of slightly flipping the the mentality because it's really just kind of an in your head kind of change to see that because sometimes if you're working on something and you you just can't move away from it and the only way to get away from it is for it to just fail completely 
Like, it just needs to completely tank, and then you're like, you know what? I can move on now, and that can actually be a bit of a blessing. Bars, man. Absolute facts. You're up next. I hope it was caught by some kid whose parents got divorced, and they think it's their fault. Don't carry that shit with you as an adult. It could make you depressed from your subconsciousness head in the vault. I hope it was caught by some kid who parents got divorced and they think it's their fault. Don't carry that with you as an adult. It can make you depressed from your subconscious head in the vault. 100% snap on that. Jeez. It's been a while since we 100% snapped. It feels like it anyway. This is one of those sets of lines that I think it's like, I think it's bigger than just divorce. Like I know he's used the word divorce. But I think it's like just with any trauma that you might have thought it was your fault as a child. I only just found out today that your prefrontal cortex is not fully developed until the age of 25. Alan, until the age of 25, your brain is not completely fully developed. So imagine thinking that something's your fault at the age of six and carrying that with you and never ever challenging it and never like... Never thinking that, you know, maybe it wasn't my fault. Just just holding these these childhood things in us and carrying that with everything and anything that you do going into your adult going into your adult life. And, you know, it's just infected your it just pops out of your subconscious head and becomes this almost this involuntary action that you just seem have to have no control over. It it's it's really, really insightful. It's just some fucking insightful shit, these bars for me, honestly. Yeah, it's so true. I think one of the things I've had to constantly remind myself raising a kid is that they literally have no idea what's going on, even when it seems like they're being annoying. Like, you try and feed them and they smack the, the food out of your hand. Like, she does that. She's one, but she can do it. But she's not, like, thinking. Like, an ad- if an adult smacked the food out of your hand, you'd be like, okay, you've got a problem here. But it, she's literally a kid and has no idea. No matter how annoying she's being, she has no idea she's being annoying. And you can't attribute adult emotions to a child and respond as if she was an adult you just can't absolute facts bro but they are well intelligent they're way more intelligent than they let on on purpose i swear to god and (laughs) and this might sound like the most sexist thing ever but i feel like it's just like with my nieces they're so much smarter than boys they're so much cleverer than boys they just know they know what they're doing and but they they play it in certain ways she's definitely getting smarter every day I highlighted this verse as well because it's something you hear a lot. Like people so often talk about feeling responsible for their parents' divorce, kids feeling responsible. And like personally, I never related to that feeling myself. It seemed seems fairly obvious to me that a relationship between two people can break down for any number of reasons, most of which have nothing to do with you. So I never really understood that approach, but I completely understand how, like you said, you can carry all that stuff with you because when you're so young if you get that put on you and have to carry that weight on your shoulders it can stick you stick with you forever and it's, it's almost unavoidable because your parents shape you in all sorts of way and everything they do is going to affect you in some ways but if you can you know it's just best to try and get past it like he says straight up bro straight up who's next you're up i saw how one could stab you in the back could also part your throat. What a shame that people feel they need to go there, then later find out that they're going nowhere. I saw how one could stab you in the back, could also part your throat. What a shame that people feel they gotta go there, then later find out they ain't going nowhere. Bars. 
This is the type of line that describes levels of betrayal. Like someone can do you dirty, someone can offend you, someone can go behind your back. But there are times in your life when someone does you so bad, so wrong, that the knife doesn't only go so deep, it rises up all the way to your throat and leaves you speechless. And I feel like at the age of 36, I have far too many examples of this to tell. But just just bars because the way that Elzai ends it is that then later find out that they ain't going nowhere. It It's not for me to go and find out those people that have done me wrong or all those betrayals, like whether they've made something of themselves or not. It's the fact that with regards to you, they ain't going nowhere. Like they gain nothing out of doing that. They could have done things in a different way. And I'm not just talking about romantic betrayals. I'm talking about like friendship betrayals and all sorts of things. It's like, you ain't going nowhere. You definitely ain't going nowhere with me. And you had the potential to go somewhere with me because if you had done stuff amicably or with a bit more respect and not like this type of betrayal, the type of stab in the back that can even like part your throat, that there could be something more or, you know, something more texturized in your life, but ain't going to happen. Yeah, like I said, it's a shame that they had to do it in that manner because you think, well, you could, there are, there's a right and a wrong way to get ahead and that this way potentially comes back to you. It usually does, man. It's, it's just, even when it does, uh, people lack the perception to understand that that's probably why it's happened to you as well. That's that's the, That's the sad thing about it. You're up again. Them other N-words good, but let's be real. My cup runneth over, they need fresh refills. Them other niggas good, but let's be real. My cup runneth over, they need fresh refills. This line reminds me of the film Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. Such a sick film. And there's a bit where they make it to a place where it grants you the ability to live forever. But you have to choose the right cup to drink water from and this cup has apparently been made by Jesus and if you drink water from the wrong cup you basically die the Nazis are like going like they hijack the the situation they take it away from Indiana Jones because he's trying to save his dad with this this special water it's so funny isn't it it's so funny when you think of like in some not in some respect obviously like Jesus will be an idol um a god to some people the son of god or something that when you think of hey, 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 you know, which which cup will it be? And this Nazi fella picks up a, a gold cup. filled with jewels and like you know really expensive and and he takes the water he drinks it and he dies in the most awful way like it's still it's still embedded in my head how horrific that scene is it's like it's quite graphic for a universal film or something right Ah! <laughs> 
But it's like when Indiana Jones, like he's looking and he's scoping and Indiana's like, oh, it's like, it's the cup of a carpenter. Like it's Jesus. He's like, you know, the sort of, and he picks this, just this basic wooden cup, which obviously ends up being the right cup. It would not be made out of gold. That's the cup of a carpenter. It's funny what we perceive and the kind of importance we put on something. This guy was Jesus Christ. He must have the nicest thing. He must have the best thing. And it's like, that's not really what it was all about. Clearly, you didn't understand those teachings or those morals or exactly what he was about. So I just found it interesting because my cup runneth over. It just sounded and reminded me of that, that cup. It was like my cup runneth over this person, the cup of jesus christ yeah there definitely seems to be a, a historical tendency for, for certain groups to project their own ideals onto jesus so like the, the the american conservatives see a very particular version of jesus that i think probably never existed and would not agree with their their worldviews at all bars man absolute bars who's next i'm up facing nightmares that really are dreams that grow dark it's just a short one, but I thought it was a really interesting idea. Nightmares are dreams that have gone wrong. It kind of alludes to the idea that, that something that starts out as a good thing, it could go bad over time. Even if you have good intentions for something, or something starts out well, might not end well. But it also kind of alludes to, to the idea that sometimes... The thing that you think you want might not be the best thing for you. Like if you're just chasing material things. Or you might find that you do get that thing. But it turns out it doesn't fulfill you in a way that you thought it would. And you start looking for something else. So what started out as your dream. You get it and suddenly you're like, oh man, this, I feel a bit empty. It's turned into a nightmare. Just a really interesting bar, man. Straight up facts, bro. Who's next? You're up. They take a left turn in alleyways where you can smell the meth burn. I wonder who they bought it from and just how much the chef earn to make a fiend out of some teen that looked like Audrey Hepburn. They take a left turn in alleyways where you can smell the meth burn. I wonder who they bought it from and just how much the chef earned to make a fiend out of some teen that looked like Audrey Hepburn. These lines. Oh, shit. <laughs> Sorry, it's slow to react. Snapped you on half of that. Uh, these lines remind me, Alan, of Duquan, aka Dookie from The Wire. Dookie oh, is man. a yeah. Dookie is a student at Edward Ty 
Tillman Middle School, he has a difficult home life because the adults in his home are either alcoholics or drug addicts. He is a recurring target for teasing and bullying because of his lack of personal hygiene, his offensive body odour and his dirty clothes. There's no running water in his house and his parents sell any clean clothes that are donated to him. He has to depend on his three friends, Naaman, Michael and Randy, for emotional and sometimes financial support. Naaman has a tendency to bully him, but Michael remains con consistently loyal to Dookie. Dookie is a homophone for the slang term for feces. After Mr. Prez, who was just such a sick character arc in that film, lets him use the school showers and takes care of him, his pairs begin to call him Duke instead. Alan, you know this, I'm just saying this for the listeners. Dookie was so smart. He had all the ability. He had all the ability and all the, the skill sets to make something out of his life. And then in that last series, he takes a left turn in the alleyway in the last season. And you know for the rest of his life, he's going to be a meth head. And for me, it was such a sad and terrible character arc because I genuinely had this hope that he was going to become something, if that makes sense, right? Like I thought he was just going to make it somehow. And what was so terrible about it, it was just like, as just about as Bubbles is about to make it out and become clean, he gets replaced by Dookie and the terrible sad cycle just continues. And that's what, that's what the wire is all about. It's so fucking real. It's like, you know, there ain't, there isn't no happy endings. There's no like amazing drug bust and like we fixed and we cleaned the city up. This shit just happens to just carry on and carry on and carry on and if you solve one thing guess what like a hydra's head something else seems to pop up and become another issue just bars man just really really made me think of that character it's funny you should say that because recently my tiktok feed has been showing me clips from the wire it is it's on to me and it knows that i love it and man you're right it is in my opinion one of the best shows of all time and it is that nuance like they're not going to give you the happy ending in an easier way but it's funny you should mention bubbles because when you were saying there's no hope for him i thought but bubbles made it out so maybe maybe duke you can make it out maybe but we won't get to see it but we just have to hope stuff for up to us but like you said he was smoke he was so smart and he had no chance he had no chance it's crazy oh, what man. a great show man what a great show um i yeah i actually snapped you on that as well i just found that bar i wonder how much the chef earned really interesting because you know addicts are basically or drug users in general are the end of a long supply chain like they're the final element in a massive global supply chain most of which we never see even the parts we don't see a lot of those people who are involved will be vulnerable you know whether they're traffickers whether they're the people cooking the drugs moving the drugs like wherever you have a big illegal supply chain vulnerable people will get exploited and i just think it's a really interesting question to ask like who is the chef and how much are they getting paid obviously in breaking bad the story was heisenberg was the chef and he got paid because he was an incredible chef there's obviously a fair amount of fantasy to that story the reality is is the chefs are probably not you know they're not middle class chemistry teachers that, that, that's just the reality of it but 
but I think it's also applicable to other supply chains. Like a different, a difficult question for me is like, how much of the people who like make my clothes or make the components in my phones, how much are they getting paid or picking the fruit or, you know, just doing all those different things. You don't see the people in that chain and you never really hear their story unless someone decides to specifically tell you it. And him, Elzai, applying that line to, to the drug trade, I think is just really thoughtful and interesting, man. Oh, it's weird because you just, you just instigated something in me regarding like, I remember sending you that podcast of Siddharth something with regards to cobalt mining and all mm-hmm. the stuff that goes in our phones. And it's like, you're right. It's, it's like, if you see some of the, some of the footage, it's fucking heartbreaking. And to see a mother with a little kid on his back, on her back, sorry, just deep chipping away. And then like a few hours later, seeing that, that, that little mine, that little hole that they think it's just, it's just collapsed on itself which means everyone in there, including that mother and the child, is gone. And it's all for the sake of what? Like our mobile phones and and electric cars. And it's like, ah, oh, is it worth it? it? How much does the chef earn? How much does the head of that little situation earns for my ability to just WhatsApp my people and stuff? It's like, oh, I, mate, you've just, you've hurt me inside. But in a in a obviously a good way, like in a way that sort of makes me reflect and stuff. But you're fucking facts, bro. Absolute facts. You're up next. I came out swinging like a pendulum assisting in an hypnosis. On some, listen closely and do what I say. Run and tell 10 of your friends to stream this album all year. And while they're at it, make sure they tell 10 of their co-workers so that they can do the same. I came out swinging like a pendulum assistant in the hypnosis on some listen closely and do what I say run and tell 10 of your friends to stream this album all year and why they add it make sure they tell 10 of their co-workers so that they can do the same just to say Elza actually like it worked bro you actually hypnotized me he made me pick this tune in 2020 I played it for a whole year it was one of my favorite albums of the year I made Alan listen to it I made these other people listen to it I've picked it for this pod and I'm sharing it with all the listeners today to say, check this guy's album out. It's really a vibe. And I feel like it's a very complete package. So your your hypnosis has worked, bro. <laughs> Love that. You got one more. All I do is light one, write one. All I do is light one, write one. All I do is write. All I do is light one, write one. All I do is light one, write one. All I do is light. Cut, cut. I just love this chorus. It's very simple. However, and the start of this pod demonstrated it when I got the title of this track completely wrong. I keep getting it wrong. I keep muttering it and then I keep listening to it. And every time I think he's going to say light, he says right. And every time he says right, I say light. And I just keep, I keep getting it wrong. I just think it's so annoying. I, I think there's a few other tracks like that where I'm like, yeah, 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 I know the bars, I know the bars, right? And then I start saying the bars and I get it completely wrong on the, on the last, the clip of the, the chorus. But this tune is a nice summer evening track and you all need to give this guy a listen. You really do need to give this guy, this guy a listen. Yeah, crazy track, man. Love this one. Nothing 
but love to Elzai and all of Elzai fans. Nothing but love to all the BRL listeners out there. Apart from the one that gave us a 4.9 review. And nothing but love to you, Alan. One. Peace. Italian dressing in that motherfucker.